It's Jeff Mayhew. It's John Beatty. It's Politics and Parenting, where we talk about politics, but we talk about it differently. John, if you were a candidate, what would you do about this border situation that's going on? I think we'd have to uh, first enforce our laws where, uh, you know, if you come to this country, you uh, have to go through an immigration process. So I think at the very least, we have to um, follow what's on the books. And I think that's a problem we find in society where people don't respect the law. They don't revere sort of the policies, uh, even if you don't agree with them, if you think they could be fixed, I think we can look at that. Um, I know we, we talked a little bit on the campaign trail last time. Was the, the thought of maybe having like an Ellis Island again, but maybe putting in, in Texas or Arizona, California, there's a lot of spots in there. You could, you could find the space, just the idea to like, that's the point where everyone goes because when you don't really have a clear point of entry, you know, everything kind of becomes a point of entry, you know, like if you've got a balloon and um, it's a lot of pressure on it and if you, you push it in all sorts of directions, it just gets misshapen and then eventually it pops. And I think we're at the point where our immigration process is, is busted and it's burst. So we need to have an outlet for all that, that energy of people wanting to come to our country. I mean, like I, I remember, uh, I don't remember because I wasn't alive, but you know, my, <laughs> my grandparents came to this country and I'm grateful they had that opportunity. I'm grateful that there was a way for them to become United States citizens, a process for them to follow. And I think that's the first thing is getting back to following our current process um, so that we can work to fix the bigger issues. That fact that, that we are a nation of immigrants, um, you know, I think everyone recognizes that, that there were no ever, you know, everyone came over to this, these uh, American continents at some point. Um, and we need a way to allow people to become citizens and to really to teach them about our system so that they can become a part of it. I think that's, that's a big part that's missing as well as, you know, you don't have an incentive if you are, if you know, if you think you're a fugitive, um, we want someone who's in this country to to go on that path to citizenship, but also to embrace what it means to be American, to be a self-governing person, a, a virtuous right. person. Well, I mean, I think you you hit the nail on the head. Is you know what what are we as a core? Is we're we're a republic. You know, uh, Montesquieu would say that the principle of government that we have is virtue. Um, a reverence for law and order um, in order to preserve liberty. And, you know, you say he would he would define the the love of a republic as um, or the love of virtue as like the love of the republic, just itself, understanding that, you know, you don't have this other authority, you are the authority, essentially, as as the citizen. Um, and then yeah, we gotta we gotta enforce the rules, man. Like we gotta have rules. They need to be clear and concise. We need to enforce them. And then I think you know we need to look back. You know, like we've got this massive, massive problem going on in the country. Um, and I would it I would argue it's been an ongoing problem for decades now, where it rise there's rising border crossings and lowering border crossing depending on who's in charge. And Congress just doesn't do anything about it. Plain and simple. Like I remember it was. Back when Obama was in pre uh, in office, and there was like McCain and I think Rubio, and they were like working on this immigration deal, like the Gang of Eight or whatever, and it kind of got blown up. And then that's pretty much as far as I can remember. I think that's the that's the closest we've gotten to an immigration deal, and that's you know almost 10, 15 years ago now. Um, and our leaders are just yelling at each other. They're just complaining. Like one of them saying open borders, and the other one saying you know. 
we need to build a wall and it's like whoa hold on guys can we find and i know this is a this is a strange word for people in our government to hear can we find a compromise between these two positions like is mm-hmm. there somewhere in the middle and it's like i'm not even against building a wall right like i mean i think border security is very important i don't necessarily think we need a large wall from sea to shining sea um strategic walls hiring more border security people uh technology surveillance stuff like that would be helpful but i think the biggest thing like like you talked about you've got to give like a place to release the pressure you need to give people a point of entry you know everybody knew that they were going to ellis island that's how you got into america and therefore it was easier for us to control as a nation and you know, there's no reason we can't do this with our southern border. I actually, I think that we should get Mexico to give us the land, okay? And um, that's where Ellis Island. We we don't even have to give away any of Texas to to uh, to create this Ellis Island. We'll just get Mexico to give it to us because it it's beneficial for them as well. Well, no, I mean, it should, if it's our thing, it should be. <laughs> I know that's uh, some people want to want Mexico to pay for everything, but I I think you know if it's going to be our system, we should own it. Um, but I, like you going back to the Gang of Eight compromise, someone I was listening to a podcast just this day today on the way home, but you know there isn't an incentive to have um, Congress to do anything because it just means that someone's gonna someone's gonna get upset back home and they're gonna get primaried and no one wants a primary, so they much rather just kind of kick the can down the wall, uh, do things in secret. And then wait for 11th hour uh, panics where they got to get some spending done. And then they just sort of tack on as much as they can so that legislation gets passed, but there isn't the transparency that people demand that. Um, so, you know, we had the continue resolution this past week and like, who knows exactly what's in that. I, and it goes, no, it gets labeled as a clean bill, but I can only imagine how many things that were in there that, um, would probably upset you know a number of people if they if really really knew but um you know that is the, the nature of legislating is you got to make compromises somehow but i think like getting getting like the 70 percent of the of the country onto one page and sort of coming up with something that works for a majority of people is going to be beneficial and then uh you know again maybe mexico can build the airport or something uh, on the side of on the other side of the, our new ellis island but it's it's it is just a way for us to um, get people on there. I mean, like you think about Ellis Island. There's sort of that romanticism of going back and looking at your ancestor's name that's on a ledger book. Um, you know, it's really simple, but it is kind of that's when you commit to becoming a United States citizen. You know, you go down that path of citizenship, and then maybe you stay in New York City, maybe you move down um down the east seaboard maybe you move out to the midwest or all over the country i mean like but it you know that's it's like that's that decision that we don't give people other than like they're 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 in such a bad situation back home that they they feel that their only option is to hire some coyote cross the border illegally and now they're in a, another bad situation where they can only take jobs that are under the table uh they don't have the protections that a, a regular worker would have so they get abused um, I mean, did you hear about the Cheeto factory? It was hiring underage children to uh, work the factory. And it was like under some... some I heard um, something about uh, a factory. I didn't know it was Cheetos. Really? Cheetos? I think, it, I, I think it was like Flaming Hot Cheetos too. So these poor kids were in a really 
bad situation. But you know, the the department, the, I don't, don't know what department it was, but they were getting put in there, and they were underage workers and didn't have the protections. But they were asylum seekers, and um, you know, they're again like it's a bad spot when that we shows can't two two issues them. though, right? Because that shows that our businesses are lacking labor, which means we need immigration, and it shows that a lack of rules leads to bad things. Sorry, yeah. I cut you off. Go ahead. No, it's, I mean, that's what it comes down to. It's, um, again, we're not following laws and we're, because of that, we get more people coming across the border than we can handle. Um, I think another thought that you got to do is you just need to hire more judges. I mean, the, oh the, um, the reason that people get, let go and they sort of like they get a, a court date you know in a couple months and say we'll come back in that date but um it's because there's there's like a backlog of cases so if we don't have if we ourselves don't have the manpower to manage the influx how can we how can we even have this process where we say oh yeah just quote seek asylum well that's, um, the, and, that, that's the thing with creating a an Alice island right is you you create the infrastructure to handle the people coming in Right. So like you, I don't know what type of space you would need, but let's say you've got basically apartment buildings for all these people to stay at temporarily while they're getting, um, you know, processed and, be, and, you know, like I know that Ellis Island, I don't, it didn't have apartment buildings and people kind of just got processed through in the same day, but it's a different time, right? Like we don't want to mm -hmm. let gangsters and, and drug, you know, drug smugglers into our country. So Instead of having just like a, a one day processing, you've got like maybe it's like a two week process. You come in through and you get let in, you get assigned a dormitory, um, you, you stay there for a couple weeks, you have your court dates, you uh, maybe you attend education. Like maybe mm -hmm. you do like a citizenship thing like there and those who are prepared and study before they get there, they're going to get through the process quicker. Right. And this encourages, you know, this encourages the best of, you know, the Southern countries, Mexico, El Salvador, the, you know, wherever, you know, uh, people are coming from to come in here. This is encourages the best of them to come and get through. Right. And so now, because you have good and bad people trying to cross the border. Now, if all the good people think that there are fair rules for them to get in and they're going to be treated fairly and they're going to have the opportunity that they really want and there's a safer way to do it, they're going to go there, which now makes it easier to spot all the bad people trying to cross illegally. Right. And so now all that money that you spend in security, wall, and manpower is now spent more effectively. And this is just – I mean it's just like – basic business right it's like basic life it's like you have a problem you need to give it your attention you know and then once you give it your attention you have to feel like well how do i solve the problem you know we have this influx of people how do we get them through in the process the answer is not to just say come on let's go because that's a terrible system we saw like in new york in 2021 there's this famous you know it's going around twitter all over where it was the governor of new york was like we're a sanctuary city bring it on and now they're like, um, stop sending illegals to our country or to our state because they can't. We can't handle it. We're full. New York is full, and it's like, really? I thought you were a sanctuary city. Maybe you didn't understand the severity of the problem. <laughs> right? No, no, it's bad. I mean, again, like it goes back to the fact that 
there's no incentive in Congress to to really try and tackle it other than, um, you know, you can fundraise off of the, uh, well, that's making people angry about it. And, and hey, speaking of anger, right? So like in Montesquieu, as I brought up earlier, so he he says, uh, despotic government's principles is fear, right? And so like the whole idea that a candidate runs ads with like the border crossing and like rising crime, like that's a despotic leader, like plain mm -hmm. and simple. They are leading on fear. They could lead with an idea to solve the problem, but they're not. They're leading with this is a problem. Vote for me because the other guy is bad and he's making you unsafe. And it's like, but how are you making me safer? What are you doing to make me less scared? You're just making me more fearful. Yeah, no, and it's it's a totally totally emotionally manipulative, and uh, and it doesn't treat uh, the people you purport to want to serve uh, as real individuals. You know, you just treat them as um, sheep almost. I'd say, and that's that's the worst way to ever try to uh, become a, a leader. It's just to, um, I don't know, put people down. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's kind of, it's unfortunate, but it's just kind of the way that uh, things go nowadays. Um, but back to the, back to the edge, uh, the immigration issue. So, all right, let's say that we create an Ellis Island. All right. Two weeks, uh, dormitories, citizenship tests, um, background checks. Um training maybe like i mean or like maybe moving people up and down the list based on like what jobs are needed in our country right like maybe there there can be a process of like how to get these people to the right states where people need help like certain mm -hmm. states maybe have higher unemployment rates than others and certain states may have a need for like certain types of employees like we can match them together and then better help our country you know like I tell people all the time, like what business needs to grow is people. It needs labor, right? And and in a lot of circumstances, labor is really expensive in our country. And that's because, you know, what happens when the prices goes up is because it's there, you know, it's supply and demand. So if the cost of labor is high, that means the cost of goods will be high. Mm -hmm. And that means that the economy is going to struggle because the companies aren't going to be able to grow. Um, they're just going to be stuck in this perpetual cycle of paying for high labor, having high cost of goods, but never being able to scale larger to lower that down. Right. No, it's, yeah, it's a bad, bad cycle. Um, so we're talking about it. Hopefully get more people to talk about it. Yeah. Maybe we can get someone in Congress to talk about it. Yeah. Somebody in Congress, they will talk about it until they leave Congress, which might be at the end of their life. <laughs> which is speaking term limits, right? Like that's another thing we should be talking about. We're talking about immigration uh, or, you know, trying to solve it, but something our leaders don't talk about. And because it doesn't drive the fear of the citizens, which means it doesn't drive voters to the ballot box is term limits. But we just saw this week, um, representative Diane Feinstein passed away. She was in her nineties. Uh, she's had lots of health concerns over the last few years, and she passed away while still in office. Um, it's kind of hard to believe that she was still functioning as the representative for her district at the stage she was in with her health concerns. But it's also concerning that she refused to retire, you know, like 
I don't know if that power is supposed to be like consistently in one group's hands, you know? No, it, I mean, like it shouldn't. And I, I used to be kind of, I've come around on this issue. Like I used to think like, oh, you know, we want the brightest, best of the brightest and we don't want to limit that. But, um, you know, as you get to know more politicians, you say, well, I'm okay limiting the people we've got in office as it is. But I think what really kind of sold it for me, I, I believe Florida has term limits for all their rep elected representatives. Um, and I, I don't know, I don't remember the number off the top of my head, but maybe it's maybe eight or 10 years. Um, but that's the kind of thing, like you get a lot of, you can, you know, you get a lot of turnover. So you get fresh voices in there, but you also ha don't have people that stick around in a mass power that don't have to worry about the next election because they've got whatever it is back home. That's going to keep them in office. And so they can spend more time, uh, work in the halls of their elected body. Um, and so somewhere like Florida has no debt at all, um, no state income tax, but they, and they have a balanced budget every year. And that's because there's people in there that um, are looking out to serving their constituents rather than themselves. And right. so I, you know, that once I kind of discovered that, I, that sold it for me, like we absolutely need term limits. I think, you know, we'll figure out the, the time length. And I think what some point we mentioned probably 12 years for house of representatives and you kind of thought forever for senators, but yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, you think know, there, I think there's always good in in blending things, taking a little. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that's our government. We're we're a blended version of of a monarchy, a republic, and a democracy, right? Um, the the executive functions as the monarchy, the Senate functions as the aristocracy of the republic, and the House functions as a democratic aristocracy. You know, electing representatives and um, having that blend is good. Um, you get more, you get different voices in the, in the conversation. You, if you have term limits of 12 years in the house, you know, um, you're turning over the power that's closest to the people. Um, but, you know, having no term limits in the Senate would mean that you're allowing experience to continue to gain, you know? Mm -hmm. So like, I like to tell people power held is power gained, but it's also experience, and, and you want a group of your leaders to be very powerful because they have to face other very powerful leaders in other countries. And that's kind of how we, we, you know, we have to, you know, ambition must counteract ambition. We must think of these things in order to keep our country safe and sovereign. So again, blending the two together, putting term limits in the house, allowing the Senate, because now the house can check the Senate. That's its job anyways, right? right. The house is, represents the people. The Senate represents the state. If the state gets out of line, the people can hold them accountable, you know, and then you have an executive that's already has term limits in, as well. So now you have this one body that can't really do anything on its own unless it's, you know, has the other two consenting. And if the other two are limited, now it's not going to allow, you know, a, I don't know, a long-term abuse of power by the Senate because it would be combated by the other two houses or yeah. powers. No, and I, I think perhaps tempering that is maybe some kind of age limit or something where, or some, well, some kind of- Yeah, I think an age limit would be test. appropriate. Yeah, no, I think I think of age limit both for the Senate and and the presidency. You know, mm -hmm. I think that you have to be of sound mind, and it's not to say that you know, as you get older, you're not necessarily of sound mind, but it becomes harder to know which of us fall off of that and which of us right. stay sharp. And 
you know, it's, it should only be fair that the people shouldn't have to answer that question. It's like, all right, you know, 60, you know, like, I don't know, 65. I mean, you, there's a retirement age, you know, there's a social security age. Why are you becoming the most powerful person in the world post social security? You know, like this is, well, you could argue the social security age is, is sort of a holdover from like the Bavarian or the Prussian model where they're trying to create jobs for younger people. So it's not, I mean, like there's, there, there's the sort of, you know, working in a factory past 65 is one thing, but I think again, going back to wisdom and experience, you do kind of want that in a governing thing. And there's a, it's a strong human tradition of the elders, you know, um, being in charge and governing. So Yes, you might be collecting Social Security past 65, but I don't think that precludes you from being in a position to um, make decisions for a large body. Because I think if anything, you you kind of do want some what wisdom. What age would you, what would, what, what would be an age limit that you would propose? Probably 80. I think 80 is a, a solid like, wow. yeah. See, I think, I mean, I mean. We did. We need to bring a doctor on, and we need to talk about mm-hmm. this because I think like the cognitive decline of of humans starts before eighty, especially depending on like how you have lived your life previously, you know. And then, and again, like we're not going to know as voters what's going on inside of that person's head. Um, they can seem sharp because it's all practiced and rehearsed and whatnot, but. You know, we what we want is when they're not practicing and they're not rehearsing to be very sharp so they can govern properly. Um, and I just, I feel like 80s, I think it's just too old. I think I would go, I'd say 70. Hmm. Like, I think 70, like, I, I just don't know. I mean, look at our founders. None of them were in their 70s. You know? Well, so maybe that's the other thing too. Like, it, it has to kind of ratchet with uh, the expected life too, because- it's a totally different um, yeah, but uh, the, medical, the medical system people, now. But the length that people live is not really any different than it was during our foundies. I mean, Thomas Jefferson and John Adams both lived into their 80s, right? They lived a pretty long time. Um, a lot of our founders did, but they walked away like they walked away from from it, you know, and um, before they got to that age. And I think it's because they knew that they were they were starting to decline and they understood that it was like you have to have a very like sharp mind in in governing because governing is essentially debating. You got to be able to listen and you got to be able to respond. And if your mind is clicking just a half a second slower than everybody else's, it's going to be hard. No, I mean I could see that. I um yeah, no, that's a good point. Um I think Overall, though, people live longer now. And I would say, like, you look at um, people in their 70s, they're very active. Uh, and, you know, there, there is an argument too, to, like, raise the retirement age. Um, I know old, old, many people don't want that. But I think, um, like, we do kind of recognize that uh, in your 70s, you're still, you still can be active. So, um, no, I, it's, I think, I don't know, I think, 80 gives you sort of a nice cutoff where once you're past 80, you know, there's right, no, I'm, no issues, but I'm willing to make a compromise. Let's meet in the middle. Let's go 75. 
75 all right yeah that, that's how it's done people that's that that's it now it, there's the age limit it's 75 75 started at 80 i started at 70 we're at 75 i feel like we got a good balance there you know <laughs> see that's why we just bring this to congress and we'll fix all the problems there so let's so you you brought up social security and i know we weren't going to talk about it today but i think it is uh i'm just curious well what would you would you raise the age of social security over the retirement age i think we have to i mean um, i mean just I think like, yeah we don't have money right yeah we're broke. we don't have money to pay out social security i think for raising they just didn't they just do this in france they i think what did they do like six months or something like our year like it was very small amount and there was riots about it like it it's it's one of those things like you just have to do like old people would get out and riot over this are, are were they out there in their were they out there with, it's with the people that are like three years from, three years from retirement that don't want to wait another year i think they're the ones that are <laughs> they're throwing stones I'm gonna but it's, it's just i think like that's the other problem too is that like people just kind of put their heads in the sand and say well we'll just we could borrow our way out of this or anything but you really you do have to kind of acknowledge the reality that you live in and and what um what you're dealing with at a particular time rather than what is some idealistic thing that you hope that you would might be in, but you're not quite yet, but maybe it'll just sort of happen and you get some unicorns and, and rainbows, but like, yeah, you know, they're just so the United States functions as like an entrepreneur, like, like Elon Musk, right? It's like, I'm full go all the time. And it's somebody with money will bail me out because they know mm -hmm. eventually one of my ideas is going to catch fire and I'm going to become <laughs> rich. You know, it's like, like Vanderbilt, like Carnegie, like Ford, they were all that way, right? They all understood their power and they weren't really afraid because they were like, somebody's going to give me money. And that's kind of how the United States operates, except what happens when there is no more money? <laughs> like what happens when like you've siphoned all the money to the countries that don't like you and they're mm -hmm. like, you know what? Guess what? We're not giving you anymore. Now you're going to have to suffer because now it's not about you know, the profit we make off of you. Now it's about the power we hold over you. Yeah. No, I, I was actually just reading about the um, belt and trade thing that China was doing. I don't know if you know about this, where they would like loan money to developing countries. Um, but apparently like um, a lot of the projects were unsuccessful because the contracting wasn't done well. Yeah, um, and then um, I guess like, you, you know, once you have like you've built a port or something that isn't really usable and you've got a whole debt load, then you default on it and then the Chinese take it back. Um, and so like it it we're kind of you know you're in a bad situation where you are at the mercy of your creditors. And yeah. if they don't really care or do want to lower it over you, they can they have that kind of control where they can um make you raise taxes, make you not spend money on things that you need to, uh, perhaps like a military or yeah. Uh, so back to social security, what would you raise it to? I think it's gotta be gradual. And I think, and I think it has to go to like 70. I just think like you look at, at people these days. Um, I think like people were just living longer, working longer. Um, and I, I think like that's, I think 70 has to be your, your long-term goal. Now, how fast that happens and, and it, it, sort of what carve outs there might be for that. I think, um, you know, we got to work on that. I got part of the, part of the argument with the French pension system is like you work incredibly hard and then you're kind of, you're basically done by the time you're in your early sixties. So um, there, there, you don't have much more to give at that point, but um, 
you know, maybe it's if you're a blue collar worker, you retire at 65. And if you're a white collar worker, you got to wait till you're 70. See, I don't know. I mean, I don't like that idea because that separates people as far as like the value of their work. And I don't, I mean, work is hard regardless, whether you're a white collar mm -hmm. or blue collar, you know, whether you're putting in um, physical labor or mental labor, it's still labor, you know? Um, now, yeah, it's tough because like I sympathize because like I'm 38 and I've, I'm ready for retirement. Like I'm tired all the time. <laughs> so like I can't imagine what it's going to be when I'm 60. Um, and then the idea of having to work till I'm 70 is like, do I even want to live that long? You know, like, like where, you know, we talk about incentives, like where's my incentive as a citizen to like mm -hmm. be a, a good worker or a hard worker if I'm going to have to work till that. I mean, obviously you can save and you can retire early and that should be the focus of most citizens. Um, you shouldn't be, I mean, especially now you should not be relying on social security. Um, I don't believe it'll be there when I'm 70 years old because it's not really there now. So <laughs> Um, but I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the age should be on that. I would, that's something I need, really need to like, think about, maybe talk to somebody in that age bracket a little bit more. I mean, my grandmother, she, she's of that age. She's been retired for years, but, um, she stays active. Like she volunteers, she works. And I think mm -hmm. that's part of like maintaining a healthy body is like work is actually good for you. Um, where it, it wears you down, but it also builds you up. Um, and so I think that there are, you know, positives to this as well of, of raising that maybe, maybe if you raise the, 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 the work age or the social security, people work longer, maybe they actually start to live longer. Possibly. I mean, really what you got to think about it, like, what's the purpose of raising the age? It's so that you're not paying out as much, uh, um, for someone's life. Cause you know, if someone it retires at age 65 and then they live for another 30 years. Like that's 30 years of, of paying them uh, every, you know, uh, paying them through the social security. So by expanding that age, then it means it's fewer payments over their lifetime. So like, that's the goal. So then the other thought you might say as well, if we don't want to raise the retirement age, then we have to find the money somehow. And, and then it's a matter of raising social security taxes on payroll and oh, um great idea so here's what we do okay so immigration now when you start to funnel the people into the country and they're coming in legally you know what they're going to do immediately pay taxes. pay taxes and you know what we could do with that tax money pay for social security pay for social security Boom, problem solved. We've done John. it. We've done it, John. <laughs> it's so simple. It has to work. And then start paying off the debt. Well, you know what's going to happen, though. Like the moment you do immigration, every single congressperson that signed the bill and saw, and, and it, you know, within a year, you see the improvements of our country because, like, this makes a lot of sense, right? <laughs> and so, like, mm -hmm. every congressperson that signed that bill, they're going to be back in Congress trying to use that tax money for pet projects in their district. That's what's going right. to happen. Um, so whenever we do the immigration bill, John, we have to make sure that we protect it and protect the tax money that so it goes to the appropriate sources. So you know we don't have all these. What is it? It's pork, right? Is that the, the pork term? barrel spending? Yeah, pork barrel That's spending. A, yeah, 
uh, there was some euphemism. It's earmarks is what it used to be called, but there's some like new community funding or something. They just, you know, there is a very good quote by Alexander Hamilton that would fit this perfectly. I can't remember it off the top of my head, but um, it it is right on this topic. Uh, Shoot, I'm forgetting it now, but I'll look it up and share it maybe next week. I mean, it's just a matter of, uh, you know, it, as we like to say, it's just the, the grift, you know, you got to find your grift and. Yeah, everybody's got to find their grift. I mean, that's, that's what America is now <laughs> in a lot of ways, or at least, at least I would. Okay. Let me take that. Back. America is not a grift. Most people have no idea how grifty the politicians are, but if you live in intellectual America or you live in uh, political America, then it's a grift. You know, plain and simple. That's that's what's happening. So well, we've Regular again saw America has no idea. They're just like working so much, and they're so tired, and they're just like, "Why is everything broken?" That's where we come from. And uh, and we fixed the problems. We fixed two problems tonight. So yeah, yeah, we fixed two problems. <laughs> but I mean, you know, at the end of the day, it's. This is the type of stuff like people should be talking about, like and mm-hmm. solving those problems, and they should be doing it in Congress. Like we're just two dummies on a podcast, right? Um, well, maybe, maybe we're not dummies, but you know, we're we're just two guys on a podcast and uh, thinking about different ways and how we approach the subject matter is just like from the past, right? It's like there's been a lot of really smart people in our country, aren't we? Are, yeah, like we are so blessed to live in this country we have so much freedom so much opportunity and that was all created by really smart people that lived before us and so like when you start to look at like the the problems that you have in society look back how was it solved before how can Mm -hmm. we apply that to today you know like really good leaders like even in the past like madison adams uh jefferson that's what they did they looked back you know madison studied montesquieu Right. And that's how we ended up with our blended, you know, republic. And so you go forward and you look at Teddy Roosevelt, like Teddy Roosevelt literally wrote a history book while like in his ascent to the presidency. He in in between like becoming the police chief and running for office and all these different places and then being vice president, he literally wrote a book of history. Like that's how much the leaders of our country studied the past or at least the successful leaders of our country studied the past but mm-hmm. like you look in congress and you look at look at look at our presidential candidates right i mean are any of them really history buffs do they talk about the history at all do they understand it i mean certainly i don't believe that trump does um desantis probably but i don't really hear a lot of it um vivek i don't know i mean he's so slick i mean why would he want to bring up history um biden like i mean biden's been in politics forever and i don't think i ever hear him talk about anything from the past except for only his his past yeah that's right only his past (laughs) i'm suffering from colds here i know it's it's that time of season my apologies um no i I think and also you know you can learn from what successful people did but you can also see people's failures Ooh, that's a good one and see like i think we're kind of in this our current time period people think that like it'd be fun to have a revolution and um 
I think it'd be it's important to read history and realize that like revolutions are serious business and they usually fail. Um, and they only work when you've got like uh, real, real principles behind them. I think most revolutions fail. I mean, um, you can think about the, can, the Civil War was in a certain sense, the South looked at it as a revolution, but because it was founded on such uh, backward ideas, like it, it just couldn't, it couldn't last. Um, and I think our revolution was unique in that it was, it was sort of a recognition of what was there rather than sort of trying to rechange everything. And if you look at like the French revolution, they were trying to reorganize society and our revolution was sort of um, just recognizing that we had grown up and we didn't need to yeah. be tethered to the, the mother country. Yeah. Um, and that's, yeah. you know, that's why it was successful and that's why it could survive for the, what is five or six years of British uh, occupancy and in, in the North American continent. And we were able to, withstand that and and get out of there and then even and then work on a constitution that again wasn't it was breath it was groundbreaking in what it said but it was really also a, a reflection of where we were at the time um well i mean a madison, people. madison you know he says like uh what is what is government but a reflection of human nature mm -hmm. right and so montesquieu also he talks about a republic in a republic you know, if you elect wise men, then the government, the country will be governed wisely. And if you uh, elect happy men, then the government, the gov, the country will be governed. Uh, then the people will be happy. And it's like what what they're telling us is like the the government shapes the people, kind of like parents shape the kids, mm -hmm. right? And and you know, if your society is struggling or it's a reflection of the government. It's in, and the government is a reflection of the people, you know? And so as a nation, as a union, we need to, we need to recognize that and start to like pull back a little bit and look back a little bit and try to understand who we are, who we're supposed to be. Um, Cause I think there's just a lot of people just misunderstand. They misunderstand yeah. the rules. They think that everything is entire everything's a right now and and the and the idea is that's not a right i mean you look at our our founding and we we instituted these rights but part of the reason that like we had the revolution is because um britain was infringing on the rights that they had already given us like yeah. we we as an americans or you know british colonists at that stage we understood that our freedom and the things that we loved about our country were actually given to us by Britain, kind of like a parent, right? So like the parent protects the child, they raises the child, the child grows up and now it wants to be free and independent. And Britain was like, no. And it wasn't even that we wanted to be independent. We just wanted to be part of the responsibility. We wanted a little right. bit of representation. We wanted a little say. And we, and because they refused to give that to us, we were like, look, you can't give us rights and then take them away from us. That's not fair. You know, um, we're in, we're now entitled to those rights and we're going to stand up for them. Um, and that's where we are in society, where we have these rights that we were born with. We don't understand that those rights are a responsibility. And then we just try to turn everything that we want in our life into a right. And we just say, like, healthcare is a right. It's a right. Why is it a right? Like, what gives you that right? And why? And why do we need it? And, and, you know, like there's a, and it's not to say that, Hey, look, if you want to make healthcare a right, okay, but find a way to actually make it a right where it's not detrimental to the country, like economically. Um, and so we can help people, you know, but 
Otherwise, it's not really a right anymore. And it never really was. Yeah. No, it's, it's, um, there is so much, so many people think that whatever they want is a right. And it's so easy to shoehorn those things in there. Uh, but then you don't, if, you know, again, if it has, to, if it is going to quote be a right, you also have to recognize that responsibility. And I think that's the other flip side that we need to do a better job educating on that. You know, whatever you declare is your right also means you're taking on a responsibility with that. And so, I don't know if right. you're going to claim healthcare as a right, that means you have to live a healthy life and uh, make other, allow other people to have healthy lives as well. Well, and that's the other thing is like, you know, when you, especially when you open up healthcare, like healthcare is a lot in a lot of circumstances is elective procedures. Mm -hmm. They are, you know, medication is elective. Like we can sit here and disagree. And I will about like the medication we give people for like that go to therapy, like psychotics and, and stuff like that. I mean, I don't really think that stuff is helping, you know, and uh, I, I think if anything, it's making the problems worse. You know, we, we see a rise of, of medication in our society nowadays. And then, you know, like, what if somebody wants to, has complications from an elective procedure to, you know, for their vanity, you know, it, mm -hmm. it, for lack of a better word, um, or maybe they don't want to be a man anymore. And they get a gender assignment surgery, but maybe I don't agree that that should be a thing. Why should I then be forced to have to participate in a system that pays for it? Why does somebody else's desires get enforced on me, the individual? You know, like, again, I'm not saying that you can't come to some sort of like situation where healthcare is a right, but there has to be a debate about it. You have right. to like recognize, okay, well, like, the first thing we have to understand is like, what is healthcare? Because changing your gender is not healthcare. Like it, it is classified as healthcare, but it's not really healthcare. If you're trying to be healthy, I don't think that's the way you do it. Um, I think that, you know, you need those parts to be your full self to create life. That's what we're here for. You know, like if, if human beings stop creating life, then we cease to be a species anymore, you know? And so like, I don't necessarily think that that should be a situation. I'm again, not trying to outlaw it or anything because people's freedoms are people's freedoms, but we don't need to apply that to the rest of society, especially when it's such a small number of people, you know, like those people are putting a financial burden on the rest of the country, you know? No, I mean, and again, that that's a, a medical procedure, but that doesn't, you know, again like what is healthcare like you said it's is it is it allowing you to um live to your 80s so that you can serve in the united states senate ah or is it or is it you know uh fixing scars in your face like you know plastic surgery like that again is a medical procedure but that's not necessarily healthcare that is that could be vanity it could could be to fix you you know maybe it's maybe it's a burn victim or something and they do need some kind of plastic surgery to help them recover and to to live a life so then does that fall as healthcare? like i think you know that is the debate that you're saying that we need to have where we have right. to suss that out and figure out the the details of it uh, rather than just doing a blanket statement of well if, if it's if it feels good for me it everyone needs to come along with it yeah and i i think you i think you made some good points and and i like i said I, there is a debate there to be had as to what is healthcare and what is not healthcare, and you know like a burn victim that needs um, surgeries to like kind of be able to live 
a full life going forward, you know, I'd be much more willing to want that than somebody who was like, you know, like, I just really want to look like Michael Jackson. So I'm going to go get surgeries to look like Michael Jackson. And I, I don't even know if this is necessarily covered, but I know that other crazy stuff is covered. So maybe this would be covered too. And I wouldn't qualify that as, as, you know, changing your appearance, using medicine to change the way you look or what your body is, is not necessarily health care. How is it making you healthier? How is it caring for you? Yeah. All right. Well, John, it's a pretty good episode. What do you think? It was good. It was good. It's We've solved it. another solved another two problems so you know if, if uh kevin mccarthy wants to come come on the podcast we'll teach, tell him what, what to do oh my god kevin kevin mccarthy he might go down in history as the worst speaker of the house ever like i mean it is and then you know it's bad i'm sure there's been bad ones i don't know oh god but he is like he is so disliked by everyone <laughs> and he just doesn't seem he just doesn't have the leadership skills to like get anything done. I don't know why they elected him. Because no, I mean, like no one else will take the job. Sometimes you're, it's the best you can do. Again, like it's it's the the best worst maybe or the worst best. I don't know how you frame that, but it just no one wants that because they know it's bad. And uh, you know maybe that's why we need to expand the house and make the speakership worth holding on to again. Yes, we do need to expand the house. Um, but that was a topic for last week and it'll be a topic for the future as well. We'll talk about it again. So, uh, anything coming up? We got not much going on with the Madisonians yet. Uh, we've been kind of dying down because had our last event and just trying to recuperate family life, slowing us down a little bit, but, uh, we've got some things we're working on. We'll announce later. And, um, Got anything personal you want to talk about, John, before we peace out of here? No, again, just thanks everyone for listening. We appreciate it. It's uh, Jeff was asking me if I knew how many people watching the YouTube videos, and I thought it was a very small number, but then he showed me the screenshot. And it's you know in the hundreds for some of the episodes. So I appreciate people tuning in and watching and uh, hearing just two guys talk about how we can fix our republic. Absolutely, yes. Thank you all, whoever. Whoever you are out there who's listening or watching, we do appreciate it. Um, sharing is is always good. And, um, you know, if uh, you ever want to have questions or whatever that you want us to talk about, you can send them into the show. Um, you can find the email on our sub stack. Um, and until next week, peace and love.